This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Health and Living with me, Lim Su An. The Rugby World Cup has been ongoing since early September across France and as we saw really close fights across all four quarterfinals this past weekend, um, we're taking this opportunity on the show today to highlight the importance of pitch side medicine at contact sports events like rugby. So to do that, I'm joined by Dr. Wazian Wafa, an emergency medicine specialist who also has a special interest in sports emergencies and pitch side medicine. He's worked... Um, with athletes in both rugby and football as well. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Dr. Wazian. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Um, it's it's you've got you've had an interesting career. You know, I, I was reading up a bit about your background. You train as an emergency medicine physician, but you also work a lot with sports teams. Yes. Um, but first, what is pitch site medicine? When we talk about that, what what is the role of the medical doctor on the site? Uh, thank you, Suan, for inviting me. So when we talk about pre-site medicine, uh, it's actually a branch of pre-hospital care. Mm-hmm. It means that the service that you're providing is outside the hospital and at the pitch site. And normally it's provided by doctors and it is supported by healthcare staff such as physiotherapists and also nurses. Uh, mm-hmm. So when we talk about peat site, uh, medicine is more like uh, you have to uh, assess the injured players and you have to determine whether they can be allowed to play or whether they need further treatment. Mm. Yeah. Would all or most sports have pitch site medicine or is it more focused on contact sports? So um, it depends on the level of organisation. Mm-hmm. So if the higher the level of organisation, for example, if you're talking about uh, national level uh, competition like SUKMA or any national competition, then you will have a uh, doctor available at the pitch site. Mm. But when you go into community level, um, I think most of the doctors will only be available for contact or collision spots. Mm. Um, and maybe if you talk a bit about that, right? What are what do we mean when we talk about contact or collision spots? Okay. So uh, when we talk about spots, there are basically three different categories. Mm-hmm. So you have collision collision spots, and you have contact spots and non-contact. So collision spots is where the players uh, will. Um, will have contact with the other teams or with other equipments mm-hmm. uh, on purpose. Mm. For example, we were talking about boxing, American football, rugby. So they they have to collide with another players to play the game. So when you talk about contact sports, it's something like f- football. Mm-hmm. You are not supposed to be touching the other players, but mm. there will be some contact involved and you have the non-contact sports like uh, badminton. Okay, all right. Um, you know, speaking of rugby, uh, Dr. Wazian, most people might see it as a very dangerous sport, right? Because like you said, it's a collision sport. You're, you're running into other players on yeah. purpose. <laughs> um, how do you view it as a medical professional? That Because it seems dangerous to us, but yeah. is it really that dangerous on the ground? So uh, it depends on how prepared you are to play the games. Mm. So uh, when you look into rugby uh, specifically, uh, there's a lot of techniques, there's a lot of uh, preparation that needs to be done before a player can actually play the game. Mm. So if uh, the more prepared you are, the higher your techniques. uh, So the risk of injuries is lower compared to if you're not trained and you're not prepared for it. So it's really all about learning how to play it properly so that when you collide with another person, for example, you don't actually injure the other person or yourself. True. So in terms of, for example, like tackling, Mm. uh, there are certain techniques that you have to do uh, before you can tackle a player to ensure that you are not injuring yourself Mm. and not injuring the other players as well. Mm. Is that why sometimes we hear about... um, 
what proper tackling looks like and why sometimes they are so-called illegal tackling? Yeah. So I think there is one of the way, uh, for example, like uh, the governing body for rugby, mm-hmm. uh, World Rugby, they are actually enforcing to ensure that uh, the players are taught uh, the proper way to tackle um, and the level of tackle that is allowed in the game. Mm. So in rugby, you can see that uh, there are certain level of height of tackles that is allowed. Mm-hmm. For, for example, anything below the collarbone is mm-hmm. allowed, but anything above that will be considered as a dangerous tackle. Mm. All right. Um, you're currently, I understand, a medical trainer attached to World Rugby? or you? Yes. Um, alongside other roles that you hold here in Malaysia as well. But um, I want to ask you about that role in rugby. What does that mean? Okay, uh, so World Rugby, they believe that in order to make the games better, you have to improve in all aspects of the games. Mm. So uh, a part of the training and education program uh, organized by World Rugby, so they have uh, trainings for the match officials, they have training for the coaches, mm. uh, SNC, uh, strength and conditioning, and also from the medical part. So, um, and then they have a level of certification to mm. see that um, the competency of the providers. Mm. So when it comes to medical, there are three level of um, trainers or three levels of educators. So the first one, you have the first aid educator, mm. uh, where they actually teach uh, the first aid in rugby. And then you have the medical educator who supports the medical trainer in organizing and also delivering costs for immediate care in rugby, which is the level two. And then you have the medical trainer who actually organize and uh, and actually supervise the whole process of this training and education. Hmm. What sort of specific training is needed to work um, to, to work in a setting like that with contact or collision sports? You know, it, what sort of uh, is it sort of very specialized training? Uh, for rugby, uh, I can talk specifically about rugby mm-hmm. uh, since I'm involved in it. So when it comes to rugby, you have to go through the courses. Mm-hmm. So for example, like the level one, it takes you one day of uh, uh, one day of course. Mm. So you have to go through all the modules. You have to learn some skills, mm. and then for level two, there is a theory test and also some uh, competency uh, clinical scenario test. Mm. So if you are competent, uh, means that you pass both of the components, then you'll be awarded by uh, with a certificate by World Rugby, saying that you are a level two provider. Then after that, uh, all you need to do is get some experience and understand the games mm. and understand the mechanism where the players can get injured, and then you can be a part of the team. You're trained as an emergency medicine specialist, Dr. Yes. Wazian. How does that training and experience help you when you come when it comes to treating athletes, especially when injured when they are injured okay. on the field? So, uh, in sports, you have uh, you are working in a very high tension environment, mm. and you have a limited time uh, to make your assessment and provide the treatment. So it's kind of similar in the emergency department where you are working with limited information, resources and time. Mm. So I think the uh, my training in emergency medicine somehow helps me uh, at a peak size. So, mm. yeah. it's, it's, I guess the, the only difference is you're not in a hospital, right? Yeah, you're true. on the field. <laughs> <laughs> you're working with less equipment, less personnel and then with less resources as well. Mm. So this, that, that means that you have to also make decisions on what you can and can't treat on the pitch. Is that yes. right? So normally, uh, we, were, we were taught to assess the condition and then see what are the life-saving uh, interventions that can be done or limb-saving intervention. 
And if it is out of your scope or out of your, uh, if there's some limitation, then what you can do is uh, always send them to the hospital as soon as possible. Mm, all right. Um, we'll go for a quick break now and continue this discussion. When we come back on the show with me today is Emergency Medicine Specialist, um, Assistant Professor Dr. Wazian Wafa. We're talking about the importance of pitch site medicine um, in conjunction with the currently happening Rugby World Cup. We'll be right back after a quick break. So keep it here on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su An. On the show with me today is Assistant Professor Dr. Wazian Wafa. He's an emergency medicine specialist, um, currently also attached with the International Islamic University, Malaysia. We are talking about um, pitch site medicine, the, the kind of injuries that you might see at, uh, at rugby matches in particular, because we are doing this show in conjunction with the Rugby World Cup, which is happening, um, which has been happening in France um, since early September and is still ongoing until the end of this month. Um, before the break, I was finding out a bit from Dr. Wazian about what his role looks like, um, the, the kinds of um, interventions that he might have to do on the on the pitch. Um, now I want to talk a bit more, more about injuries that you'd see, um, Dr. Wazian, because rugby is so different from so many other sports. You know, it's as we were talking about earlier, it's a collision sport. You are involved. It, it seems like there's a higher risk of injury compared to other sports. Um, what types of injuries do you see during rugby matches? Um, so normally the type of injuries that you can see, uh, we can div uh, divide it into um, contact and non-contact injuries. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to contact, of course, uh, it's a collision spot. So you're going to have bruises, you're going to have some swellings. And the things that uh, we worry, especially in rugby, is the concussion, which mm. is the head injury that uh, occurs to the players. So, uh, so when we talk about concussion, the... The difficult part about concussion is it's very hard for you to diagnose mm. and it's very f hard for you to treat because it's not a visible injuries. Uh, for example, if you compare to any limb fracture, you can see that the bone is sticking out, you can see some swelling, you can see some disability. Mm. But when it comes to concussion, it's very hard for you to see because the brain is enclosed inside your, brain, uh, inside your skull. So mm. it's hard for you to see what is happening inside there. So how, what signs or symptoms might you look for then? Can you actually spot if someone has had a, had a concussion on the pitch? So uh, the first thing, you have to recognize uh, um, the mechanism, mm. uh, how the players get injured, because we know that concussion can occur whether it's a direct hit to the head or indirect hit to, mm. to the head. So normally when you see uh, some big impacts or big hits, the second things that you have to observe is what is the response of the players. So if it takes, there are some visible signs that you mm. can see that can actually helps you to tell that the players is concussed. But most of the time, it takes the players to tell you the symptoms that they have. So that is the tricky part. <laughs> because when, when, whenever that you ask the players, obviously they'll see that they are fine. Mm. Because they still want to go on and play the game. Uh, but as a pitch side doctor, uh, what you need to do is you have to see the mechanism, you see the response. And if they have any visible signs, the next thing that you have to do, you have to remove them from the game. Because by allowing them to play, you are actually exposing to them to more dangers mm. and high risk of other injuries as well. Mm. Sometimes I see players wearing these sorts of helmets, soft helmets on the yeah. pitch. Does that actually help protect them? Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't. Mm. Uh, it, it, it helps you to prevent uh, cuts in your, in your, in your head, mm. but it doesn't really protect you from concussion mm. itself. So contact injuries, uh, for example, whenever that you hit someone, uh, you're going to have some dislocation of the shoulders, mm. you can have soft tissue injuries, bruises, mm. uh, and all sort of stuff. Uh, normally, uh, it doesn't prevent the players from 
stopping from playing. Mm. Uh, but of course, you have to give some sort of treatment to ensure that the swelling doesn't get worse mm. or the uh, and they were able to play throughout mm. the game. And then non-contact? Non-contact, for example, because, uh, for example, in rugby and football, there's a lot of change of direction. Mm. So sometimes the, you can twist your ankle, you can you can pop your ACLs. So uh, that those are the non-contact injuries that can occur in the game. Mm. Which are more common usually when it comes to rugby, for So example? when it comes to rugby, obviously, is the contact injuries are more common. Mm. Uh, so uh, normally, for every game, you're going to have players coming with bruises, uh, dislocation sometimes, mm. and then you have to attend to those uh, injuries. Mm. How do you, you know, you mentioned earlier that sometimes the player are not going to fully tell you what symptoms they're experiencing, um, maybe the, the level of pain that they're experiencing. Yeah. How do you decide then, you know, how do you make that judgment? When is the player still fit to play and when they are not, especially when it's something that not, that's not so obvious like a fracture? Okay, uh, so that one, it depends on the injury. Mm. So for example, like concussion, mm. if you strongly believe Uh, that the players is concussed based on your observation, then you have the right in rugby, you have the right to actually remove the players without your consent. Mm. So uh, again, in, in world rugby, they are, they are putting players' welfare as the number one priority because uh, as you know, it's the dangerous game mm. and then we want to ensure that the safety is, uh, is the priority. So whenever that you think that the players is concussed, then you have to remove them without actually getting their permission. Mm. But when you talk about limb injuries, mm, soft tissue injuries, um, yeah, soft tissue injuries, sprain ankle and everything. So normally we'll do some uh, some uh, bedside tests. For example, we will ask them to do a specific movement. Mm. If they are not allowed to, uh, if they are not able to do it, then we know that they are <laughs> they will not be able to play the game. Even if they think they yeah. can. <laughs> <laughs> as simple as like a hop test. So mm. for example, if we have an ankle sprain. Mm-hmm. So maybe perhaps we can just ask them to hop on the leg that they injured. If they are not able to do so, then most probably they will not be able to play. Mm. Do you see greater awareness among athletes in knowing their limits? Because traditionally, we often see like, okay, players, uh, athletes are hailed as really strong. You know, they're incredible because they're able to push mm. through with these injuries, mm. right? But nowadays, do you see greater awareness of knowing their limits because they want to continue playing longer? Uh, yes and no. Uh, so it depends on the level of competition. So mm. if talking about uh, weekend warriors, especially the community <laughs> level, yes. So most of the time they don't want to go out because they they think that that is the only chance for them to play. Uh, mm. But when it comes to international or high level of competition, they know that that is their source of income. Mm. So they take care of their body more uh, compared to the uh, community level players. Mm. All right, um, Dr. Wazen, you also um, you also work with the Slango Football Club. Um, yeah. How different are the injuries that you see in football versus rugby? I know we talked about it earlier, but if you could elaborate more, because one is a collision sport, one is a contact sport. Yeah. Um, how different are the injuries? So uh, in rugby, you are using your limbs, you are using all your four limbs. You are mm. using your hands, you are using your foot, your feet and everything. But when it comes to football, most of the time you are using your feet. So the injuries in football are more concentrated to the lower limbs. Mm. And then, of course, in football, uh, there's a lot of uh, change of direction. And then uh, there is where higher chances of them to be getting non-contact injuries, for example, like ACL injuries and those kind of stuff. Mm. Um, I think the, one of the another major things uh, when it comes to injuries, uh, there's not much of concussion in football, in football yeah. uh, when you compare to rugby itself. Mm, mm, all right. That's why you hear so much about ACL tears among yes, footballers, yeah. right? 
All right. Um, if it then then move on to training, Dr. Wazian, you know, we, you spoke earlier about how it's important for players to know the right technique so that even in collision sports, you don't accidentally injure yourself, injure the other player. Um, and with some... Sp- what do rugby athletes then prioritise when they train? Because like you say, they use, they're using their entire body, right? Yeah. How, what does that training look like for them so that they don't get injured? Uh, in comparison to other sports, uh, I think rugby takes the physical domination uh, in, a, in a higher priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can see that most of the rugby players are big built, yes. uh, very much muscular. And then uh, the other parts is similar to other, other parts of the, uh, like other sports. Means mm. they have to train for speed, they have to train for agility, and then they have to train for the strength and also for the endurance. It's everything. It's everything. <laughs> yeah. As you can see, that is a high demanding uh, sports uh, where you have a very short break in between the phases of the play. Mm. So you have to be, uh, you have to have, it's quite difficult because normally when you have a higher mass uh, of muscles is very difficult for you to be agile and okay. for you to have the speed as well. Or flexibility yeah, even, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's why I think uh, the training, you have to adapt more with the with the size of the body and the demand of the game. Hmm. A lot of a players, a lot of an athlete's time is also spent training rather than on the pitch um, during a match, right? What is, is, does training also lead, um, do you also see injuries coming from training or are usually players a bit more careful during those periods? So uh, when it comes to training, um, we are trying to limit the number of contact during the training because mm. again, the higher, the, the higher number of collision during training means that the higher risk of injuries. So uh, normally, as a uh, when normally the coach will plan the session well. Mm. So maybe in a week, maybe they have maybe about two or three sessions of contact, and the rest of it is non-contact. I see. Yeah. So uh, injuries, the risk of injuries are still there, but you are minim- minimizing it by by um, by actually planning the the training session well. Mm. Mm. Yeah. All right. Um, I know you've also sort of um watched over a women's rugby game as well. And I'm curious about that because we're talking about um, changes, um, physiological changes, biological changes yeah. that are beyond, that, that are non-modifiable, right? How does gender also factor into the types of injuries that you might see? Are they, or are they very similar because it's the nature of the game? Uh, it's quite similar, uh, but I think that uh, but the rate of injuries in women is higher compared to men. For oh. uh, as you mentioned just now, there's a lot of other factors. Mm. For example, like the body habitus, the physiological. Uh, for example, that women has a wider hips, mm-hmm. so means that they have more of a hip injury as well. Mm. And then the strength of women is not as strong as compared to men. So in concussion, the rate is higher because they don't have uh, much of a neck control and head control. So whenever they get knocked by the opening. There's a lot of uh, hit and whiplash movement, which uh, which will lead to a lot of more concussion to them. I see. I would have thought that the rate of injuries would be higher among men. Oh well, you might think so, but again, mm. uh, due to the body habitus, to the to do due to better techniques and better exposure to the games, mm. so they have a lesser chance of injuries. Mm. All right. Um, what about pain management, Doctor Wazian? Because um, 
do you see that athletes have a better tolerance or a better understanding of pain because they're more used to it? I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm, I'm stereotyping or, or no, something. You're, you're correct. You're entirely correct. Mm. Uh, because again, the more that you are exposed to a certain stimulus, the mm. more that you will, you will, you will be able to tolerate uh, the stimulus. Mm. For example, that if you're training to play rugby for a certain number of years, yes. so your level of pain might be higher compared to a person who never played rugby before. Mm. Uh, that's why sometimes you can see in, for example, like in a, a ring uh, ring sports, for example, like MMA is boxing. You can see that people getting punched here and there, but they can still They're stand. bleeding and bruised, yeah. but they're still standing. Yeah. So if you're exposed to the game mm. uh, for a number of years, then your pain threshold will be higher compared to the normal population. Uh, but when it comes to pain management, normally it depends on the players because mm. different person has a different uh, threshold mm-hmm. uh, where they would not be able to continue to play. Mm. So normally it takes to your assessment what you see mm-hmm. and and what the players feel. So it's not really a, like a one-sided decision whenever that you want to remove the players from the game when it comes to all these limb injuries. Mm. What does that pain management look like then? Because I understand you can't give players too much as well, right? Yeah. So again, uh, any intervention that you must do, you have to ensure that it's not uh, prohibited by the WADA or the World Anti-Doping Agency. Mm. So the choice of medication that you have to give, you have to make sure that it's not in the band list. And then secondly, uh, you can start with a non-pharmacological treatment. For example, that you can ice the areas, you can give some comfort, you can rest the place for a while. Mm. And then after that, you can assess after that. And then and then only you decide whether the players can play or not. Mm. Yeah. All right. Um, what about looking long term then in terms of the, the, the health of a, of a player? Because... With something like rugby, it's so in. It's such an intense game, and players are playing for years. You know, sometimes I've seen people who are in multiple rugby <laughs> world cups. How, yeah. What are the long potential long term complications that that you might see in a rugby player even at years after they retire? Uh, so of course, uh, if you're talking about bone changes, uh, degenerative bone disease, um, the more injuries that you have, mm-hmm. uh, the higher of chances for you to develop these degenerative bone diseases. For mm. example, like osteoarthritis. Mm. Uh, but one of the biggest concern, uh, especially in collagen sports, we are talking about chronic traumatic encephalopathy, mm. uh, which means that due, uh, which means that injury to the brain due to repetitive uh, trauma throughout their careers or their playing years. So we can see that uh, over the years, uh, uh, there's a lot of class suit uh, um, has been has been uh, has been going out mm. out there. Uh, because uh, the players think that they were not protected before and they were not explained of the risk of playing these sports. Mm. And when we talk about uh, CTE or mm. chronic traumatic encephalopathy, the problem is is you cannot see the injury at that point. Mm. You can't diagnose it when the yeah. person is alive. Yeah, true. So, and it will take some time for you to actually see the after effect. Mm-hmm. So that is why uh, sometimes most of players, when you talk about concussion, uh, whenever that place is uh, concussed, the symptoms might last for maybe about a minute or five minutes. Mm. But the the after effect might last for, for the whole life. And then you have to know that your brain uh, does not only uh, have, uh, has a lot of domains. Mm. Uh, you, you have your coordination, you have your memory, you have your concentration. Uh, but a lot of misunderstanding, especially when about concussion, mm-hmm. people think that if you have a memory loss or you have loss of consciousness, that is the that is the only way for you to diagnose concussion, mm. which is not. So sometimes the the players might be uh, having some sensitivity to light, sensitivity to noise, and sometimes they might it might affect their mood as well. 
So that's why we can see in the news there's a lot of players who retired after some time, especially in the NFL, mm. who actually killed themselves due to depression after 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 their careers, mm. and they uh, attributed it to the uh, CTA. Mm. So have you seen? Collision sports like rugby become safer over the years to compensate for the risk of CTE? Uh, yes. So we can see that World Rugby has been changing the laws over the years. Mm. So if you compare the current World Cup to maybe about five edition back, you can mm. see that the tackles are more safer. Mm. And then there's a lot of punitive uh, punishment to the players who did not adhere to the laws. So one of the way that they are doing it is now the head collision. Mm. So whether it's incidental or non-incidental, they will they, they will actually uh, reward the penalty to the teams who who did it. Mm. And then you can see that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of tackle tackle school mm. uh, being introduced to ensure that uh, the players are safe. And then another way that they are trying to ensure that uh, the the risk of injuries is lower is by Uh, by not allowing the school kids in full contact, in mm. full contact. Uh, so these yeah. are younger kids. Yeah, younger about. kids. So I, th- uh, for example, in in the New Zealand, mm-hmm. they actually class the players based on the weight for underage. I see. So because we know uh, kids, especially in the Pacific Islander, they are they are very big built, sixteen mm. years old, but they are eighty kilos. Mm. So what they are doing over there, they are classing the players based on the weight. So below sixty five, below seventies, below eighties, to ensure that everyone will have a lower risk whenever that they collide with another players. Mm. So there are ways that the sport can be made safer. Yes, but of course there's always risk in everything. Yes. So uh, again, you have to actually look into the benefits and the risks, and mm. then you have to ensure that uh, it is still enjoyable, but it is safe at the same time. Mm. And I guess that's where the role of um, doctors and healthcare yeah. workers like yourself come yes. in, right? Because you need someone to be able to make that objective judgment. Yeah. So uh, when you compare to other sports uh, in rugby, you have a match day doctor mm-hmm. where they are supposedly to be non-partisan or non-biased. Mm-hmm. So they can make the judgment and decision uh, objectively. Mm. So we are taking the decision to make the decision out of the team physician or the team doctors or the players. So this is someone that's not part of yeah. either team. So they are not part of the team. They are there just to make decision, medical decision to ensure that the safety is uh, being taken care of. Mm, all right. Yeah. Um, to, I guess, close off our discussion, Dr. Wazin, I'm curious, how did you find that passion to work in sports and pitch site medicine? Because it's different. <laughs> it's very different from working as an emergency med. I mean, uh, it's, a, it's a slightly off-tangent field from working as an emergency medicine specialist. Yeah, so... Uh Well, I used to play rugby before, mm. uh, but as I grow older, uh, you know, you don't have much time to train and to play the game. Mm. And working in the hospital is quite hectic. So I tried to find a way to be out of the hospital and at the same time still doing some sort of medicine. Mm. So I think towards the end of my housemanship, I found out about these uh, world rugby courses. Mm. And then I just joined in and that's it. That's the start. And... Yeah, here I am. <laughs> mm. Do you see greater? Do you do you think that there's awareness among doctors in Malaysia that this is also a potential field of um that that field of work that they could go in? Uh, it's an ongoing process. Mm. Uh, I can see that the awareness in terms of level of organization. So mm. uh, as I as I mentioned just now, when we talk about national level, we are not worried about the medical standby and the medical preparedness. It's the community level. Yeah, it's the community level because that is the highest number of people that that is playing the sport. Would there be a higher risk of injuries at the community level as well? Because you don't have this sort of um, organization. If you ask me, based on my experience, yes. Mm. Because again, some of the players they are new into the game, mm. so their technique is not is not is not better, 
and then sometimes uh, in term of the again the, the law in term of the referees everything is not up to the level of national level mm. so the risk will be higher so that's that's why uh, i think more uh, emphasis should be given to the community level instead of the high level because uh, these are the one that we want to protect mm. yeah and these are the people that we could also potentially cultivate to join the national true, level right true Mm. All right. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Dr. Wazian. Welcome, Suen. I've been speaking to Assistant Professor Dr. Wazian Wafa, Emergency Medicine Specialist from the International Islamic University Malaysia, about the importance of pitch site medicine as the Rugby World Cup is ongoing in France at the moment. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the VFM app.